0: Hello, people of Earth, this is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the, uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo!
1: Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it.
0: Hey! Humans, we are back today with another beautiful episode to bless your earholes with knowledge we've picked up on all things human music. And this as always, so sexy. Yeah, the sexy episode. Thanks to all of you listeners, all of you humans, and potentially non-humans. We haven't checked our non-earth stats in a while, but anyway, welcome to the Human Music Podcast where. Today, we're answering your questions, and I'm joined by my two amazing co-hosts here, the boys Trap Jesus and Rip Kenny. Hey! And, uh, yeah, we got some awesome questions to get into. First off, thank you guys for sending in questions. Uh, we're super stoked to get into these topics today. And uh, if you want us to answer your questions, drop a comment below. Also, hit that description for the free Mega Pack and get in with our community. We're doing free Sample Pack Fridays. So get in on that. Send us your questions. You know we're here to help you out as always. And with that note, unless we got any other
1: announcements, let's kick it off with the first question. All righty, righty, right. That's what's up. Uh, So the first question comes in from Sub Darth, a.k.a. Taylor. Uh, He was in the uh, Producer Dojo Discord, uh, you know, chatting it up with us. And he had a good one. He said, what permanent... Permanent effects do you see 2020 having on the music industry as a whole? Positives and negatives? What do y'all think?
2: That is a great question. I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, So a, a couple things come to mind instantly. The first one is live streaming events. And like, is that ever going to be profitable? Like, are you ever going to be able to actually make money from an event online that now people have kind of gotten for free for a whole year and kind of expect it to be free. Like, are you going to be able to charge a hundred dollars for an online festival? Like, I don't, that depends. Is it VR? Okay. Is VR at a
0: place where we can support that?
2: That is actually the only thing that I could see providing above and like above and beyond value that would make it worth it. But then you need to make sure that your subset of the population that likes your music also is VR capable. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that many people are yet. Like I know that there is a very diehard, dedicated cross-section of the population that would fucking kill to have a VR live set, but I just don't think it's scalable to make money at the production level that you would want it to be at yet. I yeah, don't know. Maybe next pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, the
1: 2030 pandemic with the crazy VR whole full body suits is going to be crazy. Just watch it on the Star Trek holodeck. We're going to be, we're going to be extra lit. <laughs> you heard it here first. You can even smell the high guy's sweat in front of you. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, uh, no, it is an interesting, like when, when, shows if and when they get back to a sense of normalcy, like, what's going to be different about them? Like, is it is it just going to go back to the same kind of setup, or are people going to be, like, more afraid to leave their house? I mean, I was thinking for at least probably a year, you're going to have, like, a weird transition period of people that are, like, not making like, out with strangers. Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> However, I was more referring to like the anxiety of like leaving your house after being in your house for a year with basically told that the world is poison and you can't go outside your bubble. Like even just like when I played that show in Ohio on Halloween, like even just going through an airport, like I was I was weirded out by it. And I I love traveling. I was weirded out by the whole experience. I was like, this is I don't like this. Well, let's say we get a
0: vaccine and uh, we just. Resume shit as normal within a year what what kind of lasting effects do you think it would have moving forward for for artists
2: and fans a i'm interested to see how it's going to affect like venues and promoters getting back into the swing of actually making money from these things because a lot of people that had you know really established places to play shows and promoters that were doing this as their full-time job have had to pivot into something else. And I don't think they're just going to instantly pivot back. Um, and you're so you're going to get like a whole new crop of promoters that don't know what they're doing. And you're going to get a whole new crop of event thrower and event spaces that are kind of new to the game. And I think that that's going to be a double-edged sword, right? There's going to be some really cool, fresh, innovative ideas coming in, but it is going to kind of be, a, I think, a bit more of a Wild West for that kind of situation for for shows and throwing shows when everything comes back. Um, I do think that it is going to be an opportunity for, like, the upcoming crop of musicians who want to play because I think a lot of people, by the time that we're actually back to normal, I think a lot of people that were on the verge of breaking out or wanting to make this a full-time thing and like had to transition into doing something else might have like completely moved on by then. Right. So you mm-hmm. might, you might have more of an opportunity being like the guy on the edge right now, if you stick with it and are ready to to pull the trigger when everything goes back to the normal. So, um, I think that's, a, that's an interesting opportunity or an interesting way to think about opportunity that could come out of this. Um, but yeah, what do you what do you guys think? How you feel, Luke? Well, um,
1: I, I agree with you. You know, it's definitely going to be a double edged sword on the live scene. Like, you know, one of the cool things is there. You know, a lot of practice and and effort has had to go into different styles of shows and streaming shows. And you know, yes, I feel like it's not going to be the same where people aren't going to want to go pay. You know 50 80 100 bucks to not go out to a cool venue with an amazing light show um but you know on the other hand you know people make a ton of money off tv and if you can set it up right where you've got the right sponsorship and the money's coming in from the people that have it to spend and want to reach eyeballs then that could be another avenue another direction that that it could go from making live streams uh, profitable for the artists i'm uh, not saying not saying that's a good thing because then you know it's like doritos presents or you know? yeah Whatever right whoever, yeah doritos wasn't kfc
0: played fucking ultra or what was it great colonel sanders dude heard he threw down
2: doritos wants to pay me 50 grand to do a whole live stream special with Doritos all over it and I make a Doritos backdrop with all the other visuals that are happening. Okay. At least, at least someone's getting paid real money at that point. I like, mm-hmm. I like the the idea of like, so in my head, when you said that, I was thinking like, so Hulu or Netflix would have a section that's like music events and you'd have a company that pays X amount of dollars for artists and visuals and stuff. And you put together like a whole hour long, or two hour long or whatever it is, like event that's really fucking cool to watch and high production value. And then it's like a thing that like people can watch at home, like they're partying or whatever. And they're like, let's throw on X person's set on the TV. And it's like already on a streaming service that they pay for. And because that is like, that is a very pop in revenue stream right now. And there's people willing to spend money on that, which is not the case for normal revenue streams for for DJs right now so that's true I love that.
1: and and speaking of that like I mean like my brother and his friends do really like putting on somebody's set like they'll you know throw on like EDC and ultra sets and like like oh yeah man so and so was so great this year let's let's watch it again while we just hang out in the living room and get high or whatever you know like it's it's yeah it's cool you know it's like And especially, like you're saying, if they make it really visually appealing, like it could be the music version of, you know, watching a stand-up special on Netflix Mm -hmm. or Hulu or wherever.
2: I'm surprised it hasn't been done more already.
0: It has for free on YouTube, which is why it'll be really interesting to see how they pull that off. And I could see that being very lucrative actually if they implemented like a behind the scenes or get to know the artist or artists cut version where they like Mm -hmm. talk over the songs or where it's like spliced in with studio footage and stuff like that And, and and give like multiple perspectives on that like experience of these songs like to me to see the live set is one thing and it's very entertaining and stimulating, but it's on YouTube already. But if you can add like additional content or different perspectives for the same content, it's as if you like now made this 3D thing that you could view from multiple sides. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there to make it cool and interactive, but also a fun thing you could just put on in the background. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think that could be really cool.
2: I really want the DJ commentary over the top that's just that's just him screaming over distorted into a mic. Three, two, one, jump. And then then I know when to dance at home because that's the whole that like I don't that that's the trigger for me to dance at a live show too. And I don't want to miss that at home. <laughs> yeah, I stand stock still in the middle of the crowd <laughs> yeah. until the DJ screams. And if I can hear it 100% clearly, I don't believe it. Yeah, yet, no. I, I, like I need to know when to put my hands up, when to jump. Not uh, only your hands, but your fucking hands. I'm, I can't count to four usually. So <laughs> being able to get like the first three to get me going... Uh, i yeah i really like yes yeah, educational experience but yeah so i on a serious note, house
1: music one one, one 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 i got this
0: honorable <laughs> mention to rhythm as well <laughs> oh i can usually get to but um one interesting thing that i've been thinking about recently actually on this topic is we are always thinking of it from this perspective of like lower to middle tier artists and fan slash concert goer slash whatever. And I think we've covered that ground decently well. And I agree with all the points that have been brought up. One thing that I've been really thinking about this last week, especially what about all the people that hit that mainstream deal and they got that one mil advance, they got that 500 K advance And first off, didn't realize they were losing half of it to taxes and overspent on their album and then got hit with this shit and then realized that everything they do, their label has a cut in and they can't tour. And that deal that they thought was amazing, a million up front, now they made it, quote unquote, but that big revenue stream where they were supposed to be getting 20, 30, 50K a show, that's just gone. And the label's got 80, 90% of whatever the fuck else you got. To me, that's, that's an interesting situation to think from because that's the point everybody wants to get from and everybody thinks like, oh, I'll make it and then I'll have this and then life will be sick and then I'll do music all the time. What about the people that just got hit with this bullshit that didn't expect it? And maybe they didn't manage their advance right. Maybe they were, Maybe they had that tour booked that was going to rake in 200k and they had to cancel that shit and they spent the 200k beforehand. How do you think their positions like? Yeah, that's so,
2: exactly what I was talking about. Like those are the people that like we're going to make it and aren't uh, unfortunately. It'll be
0: interesting though to see if artists start smarting up though cuz especially in more mainstream and and hip-hop music you see a lot of people fighting for their masters now kanye's been very vocal about it russ is coming out and like showing his income statements and showing how he's been able to manage a six-figure income monthly from his streaming catalog alone because he owns his whole catalog minus like two albums Mm -hmm. so to see someone like him thriving and encouraging other artists to rethink these contracts. And I've been seeing a lot of other, you know, people that have been in the industry for a while, especially like some hip hop legends coming out now and like talking about how younger artists are getting finessed on these deals. And you kind of think that's like the checkpoint or that's the finish line in the race when you can slow down a bit and, and eat the fruits of your labor. But to, to, to think about, you know, that's that didn't save so many artists from this pandemic so are artists gonna start to smarten up and realize that labels can really only help you out with really a handful of things that you could get one of your homies to do and i'm not saying it's not worth it to work with a label because it is worth having some stress taken off your plate but you need to be like smart with how you're managing these deals and stuff especially if you're starting to get some traction and there's some money involved like really consider what you can do by yourself and where you can create leverage for yourself when you do start to work with
1: people. That's a really good point. And coming off that, like you, you're mentioning people like Russ and Kanye and other folks like coming out about these kinds of deals that happen and, that's that's definitely going to be part of the legacy of 2020 is all of these things coming out like everything slowed down and people had a chance to talk more and and tweet more and and write an article on medium or whatever they did to talk about how this is not what it's cracked up to be and things need to Mm -hmm. change and how there's still these clauses that have been in record contracts since the 60s that just never changed like You know, I've heard of stuff where it's like they've got um, what's called a breakage clause, which is literally a clause that was put in there because some of the vinyl records when they shipped to Tower Records or wherever would get cracked in shipping. And so that the label had to keep an extra 25 percent of all mechanical royalties just in case they had to recoup on the breakage. And it's like, yeah, nobody's nobody's had a significant vinyl sales you know amount like that to a store in how long like but those those can still be tucked in to the contract and so like the rethinking of what fairness in the music industry means is is definitely going to be part of the legacy of this year and that's definitely yeah. a net positive yeah man i think if there's one
0: takeaway sorry evan i just this is my last point on this if somebody's <laughs> coming at you with a mill no problem that means it's a great deal for them don't look at those commas don't look at those zeros and and be like holy shit if somebody's like eager to give you a mill, that's a shit deal for you you want them at least to bullshit you and be like
1: hmm,
0: okay you don't want them just to be like yeah handshake fucking let's sign
1: it Right? You feel cheated out. So doesn't matter if you're talking to the cops or to the labels. Yeah, for real. I'm going to need to see my lawyer. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. And I'm going to
0: just leave it at that. Anybody that's coming at you with a deal, they've thought it through from their perspective what would be a great deal for them. Stack that leverage, negotiate to your favor. That's all I got to say.
2: Yeah. No, I was just going to piggyback on, I really like what you said, Luke, about the essentially like the democratization of the music business a bit more when the, the major players aren't making the money that they used to and people aren't playing shows and getting half their, you know, revenue taken from them by these people, all these companies, like, dude, like big companies in the music industry are dropping like flies. Like I guess here, like Madison house went out. I didn't. One of the biggest management agencies completely dissolved like shit's getting shaken up and when Mm -hmm. that happens uh in a scenario like this where the music industry has been far tilted in the wrong direction for a very long time um i do think that that opportunity to rebuild a new organization is going to come with some very much improved leverage for the artist in today's day and age where you don't need a label. The only reason you should sign with the label instead of doing distro kid on sale for $20 for a year to put out all the music that you want and keep all of the money. The only reason you should do a label instead of that is if they have a large existing audience that they are going to push your music to and you are going to get tens of thousands of plays from like, and you, I mean still, yeah, they, if they got a really good, like marketing and PR team uh-huh. put
1: together, that's really knows how to put you and you don't know how to do that yet. And they can like extend your reach hugely. And it's a mutually beneficial. Like that's the thing, any partnership, make sure it's mutually beneficial.
2: Yeah. And like, even, even then, like, so there's there's the reach, and then there's the cosine factor, right? Like, you get a track sign on Ausla, people are like, okay, this guy's, this guy's hot shit. That That is one story. But then there's, like, a whole crop of, like, mid-tier, uh, like, labels that, like, when I was first trying to get shit signed by a label, I would have been like, oh, my fucking God. Yes, please, take all of my money and all of my master rights and everything, just put my track out. Oh, my God. Now I'm like, look at, like... Uh, it's, it's happened where like I submitted a, a song to someone and then I, you know, to a label that would have been stoked to release on. And then I was looking at like what other, like relatively unknown before releasing on this labels artists, uh, like what kind of numbers they're getting on these songs. They're like getting like under like two, maybe one, 2000 plays on Spotify, like six months later, those people didn't help him at all at all. And he's not making any money from that, and he's making definitely less than that, uh, less less than he would have anyways. And he probably could have spent that money on advertising to get more plays and real fans. So you just yeah gotta, for real, it's not that hard to get yourself two thousand plays. You can't ever, you just can't ever bank on everyone else doing the rest of the work for you. Like you have to, especially in today's day and age, make a real informed decision on how you're gonna spend your money and on how you're going to take that song that you spent so much time on and actually try and, you know, put it out in the world in the best way and recoup from it if you can.
0: Yep. Remember, there's a reason people want your masters. It's not arbitrary. It's because they're valuable. Yeah. yeah. Anything it's, else on that? Tell me I've your forgot. money's made off that. Know your business. Know your business. Know your business. Know your business. Do you I, forgot we ha- I forgot this one. That question. should be the title. Know your business forgot this was A Q&A episode. I know right <laughs> i'm ready to go in on that but i know we still got some other questions
1: all right well then we'll move to the next question <laughs> unless you
0: had a uh, man last, i was just gonna thought. say there was a there's a documentary you could watch on vinyls and it goes into uh i think it was like warner brothers music group or uh or who owns columbia it's a umg it was one of those and the dude was basically talking about like our catalog this, our catalog that. And he's going through like all these musicians records. And he's like, Oh, he picked one out. uh, I'm forgetting the man's name now, but he was a very prominent, I believe like black jazz musician in like the sixties. He's like, Oh yes. Like this catalog alone pays for like much my children's education. And I thought that was absolutely sickening. Once you're on the other side to see how these label execs speak of your work and how they profit off of it very eye-opening yeah.
1: so definitely I mean, go good, check
0: that shit out
1: a good catalogs like owning dope stock i mean like the the right yeah. catalogs just keep making music the master recordings on those just keep making music the publishing on that just keeps making money pardon me keeps making money um so just to throw one last thing on there like For real, for real, like obviously it's hard to make money as a musician or it can be. But once your catalog is making money, then you are a blue chip stock option because real popular catalogs just keep making money. There's this company called Hypnosis, H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S, Hypnosis, that has been buying huge music catalogs all year. Like, there's so many artists and songwriters, just huge people that have been signing on with them. They're basically selling them their entire, the rights to their entire catalog for a big lump sum up front. And then now, then all the investors get a share of that. And it's basically like a hedge fund for music rights. And a lot of these artists are taking the advance they get from this signing and then investing in the fund. So it's basically like, you know, it's, it's you just diversified your bonds, you know what I'm saying? You got now, Jeez. now you're not just worried about does my catalog do good? Now it's like, well, my catalog and these other 50 catalogs that all generally do good are all going to back each other. And, you know, so that's that's an interesting model that's really, you know, it's really become popular this year. Like you, you, you mm-hmm. look up hypnosis and there will be a ton of articles about huge players signing their whole catalogs over Dude, and like all, all across genres.
2: It's I, I I love that. I think that's really forward thinking way like everything else in the world is valued and works that way that makes money and is a business like I'm mm-hmm. surprised that hasn't happened sooner. And I, I like it a lot. I'm going to go put maybe like a hundred bucks into like a Mariah Carey Christmas album. And hopefully in a couple of years, it'll be worth like two, three hundred. I don't know, man. Does it work like that? Hot, I think that's a hot. <laughs> I think that's a hot stock, man. I think that's <laughs> I Think that Mariah Carey Christmas
0: song is worth more than a hundred.
2: No, no, no. I'm putting a hundred dollars worth of stock into that. Oh, okay, I'm I got gonna, you. go up over time. <laughs> I mean, that's for real.
1: All I want for Christmas is you is going to keep making money. That's like the in, S&P 500. If that song's not making money, shit's wrong. Shit's going <laughs> south. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. All righty. Thank you, Subdarth. You really sparked some yeah. conversation there. Um, that's great. That our be. next question comes from Jordan Ratanavong and jordan asks for advice on sequencing and arranging drops um you know uh, how to come up with a good rhythmic flow of basses in a drop and the different types of flows we use
2: Mm, Mm. i like that
1: drop
0: sequencing let's go i would say one thing that's really helped me out is approaching it sort of like a vocalist or rapper would approach it depending on how you look at it. And generally when you're doing vocals, there's sort of three layers to things. You'll have your main, you'll have support vocals that are emphasizing certain, let's say punch lines, if it's in rap or certain lines, if you're singing, and then you'll have like ad libs or harmonies or whatever. And so when it comes to phrasing, I like to approach my layers if I'm doing layers sort of as a vocal take, so you could have a rapidy rap song where it's just rapidy rapidy till the end, and it's just a single take, no ad libs. Or you could have something more spacious, let's say something more like uh, old, like Southern style, where it's just vibes and it's riding out, and there's a lot of ad libs, a lot of space, a lot of reverbs and stuff. So view your basses the same way and treat it as a vocal sort of. Sequence, you could say. The same way when you're just, you know, screwing around and 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 thinking of that song in your head, and you're like, whoa, 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 like if you want record that shit down and get some sort of flow going and it should feel natural to sing or hum or whatever that rule of music does not go away if you're making crazy sound design weird music noise like get some sort of cadence flow or whatever and then find ways to emphasize that so if you're having trouble with that i would see if you could draw parallels with like hip-hop or pop or rock or any other more vocal driven music and try and sequence your stuff that way and mud pies mud pies (laughs) is the way we've talked about mud pies if you're not doing mud if you didn't start doing mud pies yesterday then you're really shooting yourself in the foot and um i just did a session with a student the previous hour where we cooked up a whole drop in an hour just by focusing on the right things do you got your drums down do you got a sub and you got your mid bases, and do they all sound full and, and leveled properly? And once you have that, all I did in our project, I took two cymatics shots, just put one on the downbeat and put one through the whole rest of the phrase, and then I mud-pie that shit. And then that gives me the variations that I may or may not need. And once I have 40, 50 chops of this audio that I resampled while I was tweaking all these crazy settings... And uh using plugins like Looperator or D Blue Glitch, which is free. These plugins are really amazing because they take care of stereo, they take care of pitch, they take care of sequencing, they take care of all these things and they give you these really cool variations that you could then chop up and 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 sequence yourself, or you could throw into a drum rack if you're in Ableton or, or some sort of like multi-pad sort of uh, drum pad vst whatever thing maybe you have something in your DAW. you could find like battery by native instruments so you just throw those all on and now you could play these crazy bass noises as if they were an instrument and you don't have to think about it too hard so don't get too lost with like sequencing your drops just generate a bunch of content and then make something that's singable and hummable and 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 really important point here make that initial idea that you mud pie very simple and memorable don't cram in all the crazy shit here this is the part that you could listen to on loop and you basically will be listening to on loop and throwing just little embellishments in so yeah find that strong foundation and move forward from there
1: that's super huge yeah just to sprinkle on top of that it's way easier to start with a simple idea and add bits of complexity as you go through drafts than it is to start with attempting a, an extremely complex idea and then try to drain it in to being a coherent drop that, that people can remember amen yeah. trap jesus that's
2: why I, that's why I I'll let you take this one tesco I knew you are going to have a good answer for this shit you're You've got drop sequencing. You got that all nailed up in your head. You actually touched on the one thing that I was going to say, which is just literally hit record on your computer mic or a mic on your desk and just like loop the drums and, and the sub, if you have a sub or whatever, and just. St- start like literally just saying like the dubstep phrase or whatever you're going to do. So you literally hit record and then just And you could literally just do that all day until you find a sequence that you're like, okay, that's tight. And then you just take and chop out that one, eight bars of your dumb voice doing that dumb thing. And then you just like, okay, Let me make a thing that goes and then let me make a thing that goes and then like you're off to the races. Um, Most of the time, like you can kind of shortcut that a little bit if you're like just listening to what comes before it or listening to the drums and you'll like kind of get an idea like like you kind of hear that in your head a little bit. At least I do when I'm making music. But if you don't like that's always the easiest thing, just like hit record and start doing that. Or if you have no ideas to do that and you have chords, take the baseline from those chords and put it in a patch that you like and just start mud pieing it, like you said, and Mm -hmm. and find your favorite bits. And then just chop in your favorite bits from the mud pie in the sequence of whatever the baseline was. And then there you go. Um, Mm -hmm. The one other thing that I did want to touch on here is that um, kind of a beginner intermediate mistake to make when you're doing this is, basically to take too many different sounds that you think are cool and you want to use them in your drop because you think they're cool and individually they might be very cool but if you have eight different cool sounds that go next to each other even if they're playing a rhythm that makes sense if it's too all over the place with the textures and the vibes of all these different sounds it's not going to make sense to the listener it's going to feel like you painted two strokes with watercolor and then another with an oil brush and then you started sketching with a pencil. That shit does not look like a complete- now bring on the spray paint. Exactly, use, use one medium, one, one canvas and maybe maybe three or four colors. Exactly,
0: that's, that's and use shades. Right? Use shades of those colors and use variations and show me a blue in the context of an ocean and then show me blue in the context of the sky. Show me what you know applied differently throughout your song. Don't just show me a bunch of shit. That's a huge mistake to make. And so two huge tips I want to give out here. And if you're not doing both of these, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. And they're not obvious by any means. They took me a while to figure out. Here's two things I'm going to say that you could take away right now and implement and immediately improve. One You should have, if you're practicing sequencing and drops, you should not be opening your project to a blank template. If you're practicing buildups, if you're practicing whatever the fuck, you should have everything up till that step in your DAW already done with a serum patch, with your favorite note slapped in the MIDI on a quarter note or whatever you like. Already ready to go so you hear that beautiful serum or massive whatever you're using in it patch with some drums and sub as soon as you start. You should also have tools in your library ready to go go to that cymatics ultimate presets page and download all the shit you can find related to your genre go to YouTube go to Reddit, you should have a big catalog of stuff to go through that you could just start generating content with and then. When you hop in, now you're not wasting half an hour on drums or getting lost in any details. This is huge for me because I can get super ADD with it and and go in on drums. And I might have a breakthrough, but I didn't write something that day, and that was my intent. So by having that ready, within the first two minutes, I already have something loopable with my first bass patch going, and I'm already thinking about how I'm going to mud pie it two mud pies are king man don't don't go in with too high of expectations the 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 mouthing thing is great and i definitely recommend it if you're trying to get more natural sequencing or break out of your comfort zone and come up with you know a bit more like playful rhythms and stuff like that but the thing is I feel pretty confident speaking for most people that most times in the studio, you don't know what you're going to write and you're, you're going to show up and you're going to let inspiration and chance tell you what you're going to write. And actually a lot of writing isn't even you writing. It's you getting out of the way so that whatever the hell that is can write through you. And I know that's some like new age, hippie belief or whatever you want to look at it, but I find it a helpful belief to move forward with. So, Going in with that, I kick open my DAW, I got my drums, I got my sub going. On my favorite note, I got my serum patch, I find a patch I like. Maybe I'll tweak that preset a bit, maybe I'll just grab a Cymatics one shot, whatever. And I'll get a very, very basic idea going, mud pie it. That will give me all of the different rhythm changes and stereo changes and all the weird variations of this sound. I couldn't even conceptualize if I meditated on it for five hours beforehand. Yeah. So when I hear those, I'm like, oh, holy shit, that triplet thing was cool. I don't know how I would have done that in serum, but I have it now in audio. Let me just drag it over here into the vocal recording part where I went wah, wah, wah. And now look at that. And so just go generate 40 to 50 little chops of that audio, which is just like two, three minutes of audio recording of Mud Pies. And once you have all those, you could categorize them by like, all right, this is like a one shot. This is like a reverse. This one is like a triplet stabby thing this one is also a triplet stabby thing color code them do your thing whatever and now you know what you're working with once you know what ingredients you got in the kitchen once you know what lego pieces you got you can actually cook that dish you can actually build that thing but if you're missing a fucking connector with four dots on it and a little stick thing and a single lego block you're not going to build the castle
2: <laughs> Word up, man.
0: Okay, yeah, I dude. Couple, go go for it.
2: He's in there. Okay, first of all, I remembered you mentioned some glitch plugin that's free. Or D
0: Blue Glitch. All right, I'll... number
2: one. Number
0: two is paid. My personal favorite is Looperator. Looperator. Sponsor us, please. <laughs> yeah, amen. Uh, Give our listeners 20% off. Suddenly. I have
2: that though. Okay, the, ne- <laughs> the next thing that I wanted to include there is that um, mud pies, like not to even just hammer home on these even more, but like hammer it. The, the, the painting with too many different styles uh, metaphor that we use, mud pies are so great for that because if you start with one sound playing a loop of things rhythms and whatnot and you just create this huge amalgamation of different sounds and different textures with all this processing you're going to create like a bunch of varied things like a bunch of very different sounding sounds from the same thing but they're all gonna feel like they were painted with the same paintbrush and the same palette of colors because they started from the same place that's the biggest hack that that I realize. making like crazy, ridiculous, distorted bass music when it just gets to be like too much and too crazy. And it all kind of sounds like eh. like if you have a bunch of weird, crazy noises, but they all came from the same starting place. The listener is going to you hear that you feel that like for even if the waveforms are not even close to the same, there is a common thread in all of those that came from the, the starting place. And so you can use all of that stuff in that mud pie and know for a fact that it's going to work and feel cohesive. The other mm-hmm. thing that you kind of mentioned on, but I wanna also hammer home is drop sequencing. One of the easiest things to do to think about, if you have a long sustained bass, put some short punchy stuff after it, and then maybe some medium length stuff, and then maybe a big swoopy circular sounding thing and then another long sustain bass, and then maybe a different rhythm of short punchy stuff, and like vary the like the type of sound that's coming after one of another. So like, if if you just just don't do the just don't do all sustain stuff, the whole thing, um, or do it
0: just don't do it every song. Do it, everything right. intentionally,
2: right? And well, it's it's just easier to get something that I think sounds more pro like. I agree, like If you, you don't yeah make it a bit varied with the style yeah that's
1: that's what I wanted to touch on you you set me up perfectly there. Drops are about contrast, and you know like we said there's a there's a point of diminishing returns where there's too much contrast of like too many different types of textures and colors that you're painting with, but like uh we learned in the dojo from from Mr. Ill Gates himself that there's Two kinds of basic composition. There is horizontal composition and vertical composition. Horizontal composition is like a breakdown where you've got these long whole note sustained chords in a pad patch with a, you know, it's just like a long sustained bass. And then it's just like slowly steps up or down or up and back down these notes and it doesn't really jump that far and you kind of get this vibey back and forth and then the drums come in and ramp you up towards the drop but once it hits the drop use this vertical composition where you are focused on contrast like I like to give people the rhythm example when the rhythm drop hits it goes womp 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 Right. And it's like you're getting this contrast like each of those are the exact same womp over and over. Right. Maybe slight textural differences on the womps themselves. But it's it's been this, you know, horizontal thing that built up on this ramp. And then, you know, the drop is coming and it goes, boom, it's the kick and the bass and the and the lead all hitting with this big womp and then silence or close to it. And that is a huge contrast. And then right when the snare hits, the sub and the lead come back and do another big whomp. And then it's, it gives you space again. And that contrast between extremely loud and extremely quiet, also hitting on the downbeat and then the second downbeat, the kick and the snare, all of a sudden automatically without any thought whatsoever, your head is just getting slammed into the rail involuntarily, and you know, womp, 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 like, you know exactly when to headbang. And all of a sudden, now you're in this vertical dance move without even thinking about it just because of the way the producer set you up for that. Just brought you up a ramp. You know exactly when to start going ham. They say, one, two, three, go. Get your fucking hands up on a distorted microphone. And then you do that because of the way they set that up. And, you know, similarly to like contrast in notes, horizontal composition usually gives you notes that are pretty close together. Da 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 da. And then the vertical composition, you might be jumping whole octaves or you know seven semitones at a time, like boom. And it's like all of a sudden, just because the notes went low, high, low, all of a sudden, without thinking about it, I'm doing this. I yeah, agree. You, you know. And then, like, like Evan was saying, contrast between sustained lead and staccato lead, then having that rhythmic symmetry so when you come back to the top of the next loop, it's another sustained and then another staccato. The textures might change. You use different versions of each of these mud pies, but I know as the listener, it's long sustained thing staccato thing, sustain thing, staccato thing. We do that four times and then you have a turnaround, some sort of drum fill maybe, vocal chop, I don't know, and then we start over. Uh, And then the last thing I wanna say is like, as far as, so now you've got your dope loop and you know what your pattern is and you've established the vertical movement of the drop. Now, escalate. Don't blow every sound and every bit of everything you have when the drop hits. Because if you do that, you've got nowhere to go but down. Uh, it's a lot better to start with like kick, snare, sub, just one lead at a time, and then you're you're hitting that. You, okay, cool. And then the second time the loop comes around, you add the upbeat hi hats, and then you get a little more verticality, and then you add like the faster hi hats for the second half of the drop. And then the for the fourth loop, you add in like a polyrhythm and a new percussion, and then it's like so the. The percussion keeps escalating as it goes and then drops back down to to make a really dramatic change back to your breakdown.
2: Dude, I well oh. said. Yeah, very well said. I had a funny thought of like when you're talking about the rhythm ramp, when you have <laughs> just like the, the ramp going up and it's like it's like a bunch of sheeple. And there's, like, a DJ with a megaphone behind the bass. So and the he's going to drop Everyone it. Up the ramp. Up the ramp. Everyone up the ramp. And then he gets up to the top of the ramp. You're like, all right, now we're at the top of the ramp. We're, we're doing the drop. We're doing the drop. And all the people are like, yeah, we're doing the drop. And they just all fall off the end. And they're all <laughs> stuck. It's like, all right, people, like, one, two, game. three, go. Y'all yeah. yeah, remember that video game, <laughs> The Lemmings? Yes, dude (laughs)
1: I've never played it Oh, it's an old school game Where it's like literally just these little guys With green hair Would just be walking in a direction And then there would be like these cliffs And all these places for them Where they would die but you have to, like, go in front of them, like, building stairways and ramps and walkways. And you can, like, click on individual ones and make them do stuff. Like, you can make one, like, put his hands out like this and stop people. And then you make one. And then they just keep walking back and forth, bouncing between these two guys. And then you could make them explode themselves. So, eventually, you just explode one of the stoppy guys or build a stairway over top of him. So, they all start leaving after you've built stuff. And They'll just... They'll walk right up the ramp and off the cliff like that. So, yes, you gotta tell the dancers how to be your lemmings in the song, is the is the really the name of the game. Like mm-hmm. these are not sober people a lot of the time. Nobody showed up to do math equations at a dance show. They wanna be told exactly what to do and when to do it, so they can their creativity is not when to dance, it's how to dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They get to get weird in their own way. You tell them exactly when, and then everybody gets to have a fun time getting weird together.
2: It's so groovy. A lemon could dance to it. Amen. <laughs> hey,
1: oh, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Well said, guys. What a classic. Yo, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Jordan's second question. Thanks for this great question, Jordan. Shout out to Jordan. We got a second one from him. Um mm-hmm. He's saying he wants to make music his full-time job someday, Um, and he's, you know, kind of, he's in school right now, and he's wondering, should he, you know, would it be wise to study music and audio production as his major, or should he learn to go, you know, go make music on his own and go for school to something with a more guaranteed income as a backup plan? Um, and he's also you know asking about you know he's about to join producer Dojo and wondering if a music degree would uh, also you know be helpful for him to be a full-time musician. All right,
0: here's what I'm gonna say, right. I spent 40k-ish on schooling. Let's divide that that's like 10k a year, right? Let's divide that by 52 weeks. So that's 192 dollars is my math correct here sounds right let's say just under 200 bucks a week to invest in yourself okay every two weeks that's 400 bucks every month that's 800 bucks name me one mid-tier person in the world that would not mentor you at least a couple times a month for 800 bucks and let An hour sesh a week for a hundred bucks with somebody is half of that. You will spend twenty k in four years instead of forty. Not even counting all the bullshit outside of tuition, right? Producer Dojo, one k a year. Look at who the fucks in Producer Dojo.
1: And it's actually even less to get on the. It's only six hundred a year to get on the. The initial membership, like the the dojo membership is only six a year. That's less than one month of 40K split over,
0: you know, y- your whole like college career weekly, right? That's for one month. Dude, and now you get yourself producer dojo. And then you hit up fucking legends like Rip Kenny. You hit a fucking, I don't care who your favorite dubstep dude is. You can hit them up and be like, mentor me for a hundred an hour and they'll do it. And so to me, give that money to a bunch of boomers that don't know what the fuck they're doing and have no catalog of music of their own. That's respectable or literally just reach out to whatever like mid tier artist you look up to and just be like, Hey, I'm really serious about getting mentored by you. What's your right? reach out to your 10 favorite people. I guarantee you one will get back to you. If you're shooting within the right realm, like don't fucking reach out to Skrillex, Zomboy,
1: fucking... Yo, especially league of people. speaking of what 2020 is doing to music, none of those people are currently touring. Exactly. And if you offer to give them 100 bucks a week, I bet they would be okay with it. Like a and here's the thing, too. Yeah. Here's the thing, too.
0: When you're creating these connections as well, don't, like see this as you're in but don't see this as like purely business transactional every single person i've mentored with and maybe yeah not all of them i keep up with but a large percentage of people i've studied from i approach it from the perspective of you're cool i could be your friend i could see that because we connect personality wise we make the same music i know i'm coming out of the blue but here, let me put some food on your table. Here, let me make sure you got a roof over your head next month. And let's fucking chop it up for an hour. Let's see. Let's just kick it. I'm not going to blast you with questions. I'll ask you some stuff. Yeah, but let's keep it casual. Because that person, if they know you're chill, is going to be like, hey, man, uh, next lesson, just hit me up on my phone and uh, let me know what time works for you. Now now you, you got their number. Now you guys are texting. Maybe they send you something. You're like, oh, cool. All right. Well, I saw this thing they might be into. Let me send it to them. That's how these relationships start. Don't view this as purely transactional. You can come at it from a friendship standpoint and actually connect with this person if you view the money aspect of it just as like, all right, you're my boy, you're my girl, whatever. You're taking care of me. Let me make sure you got a little something for yourself whether that's luxury or whether that's paying for essentials. And that will get you much better connections than most music schools will especially with these online programs do not pay for any online bullshit if anything the real benefit of going to one of these overpriced boomer run schools nowadays is to maybe meet some of the higher up also boomer connections that have 20 years game in the music industry or whatever that can help you out but Overall, with where we're at in the current landscape, it is not worth it to blow that money. You could save yourself 20, 30K, come out with way better connections if you're proactive about it. That being said, depending on what you're studying, and I would still argue for music, this is not the case. If 40K is worth someone cracking the whip for you to meet your deadlines and for you to struggle fuck through sleeping three hours a night for months to ace this shit because it's gonna pay off then yeah definitely worth it to have someone cracking the whip because humans are lazy pieces of shit and don't you ever forget that that so that money if it will help you improve is worth it but If you're not guaranteed to make money off music, and this is coming from somebody, you know, who hates to admit that shit, you're not going to make money coming out of music school just because you got a paper saying, I know how to plug in an XLR. But you can make money if you can actually help out another artist. Invest in yourself. Take some time to to take a, a, and I'm dead serious about this, take a two-hour walk with yourself, no distractions, no bullshit, and ask yourself if I had this 40k. If I was setting aside 10K a year, even 5K a year, and I know that's a fuck ton of money, let's say two and a half or two or one, how would you invest that one? And if you take some time to really think about it, you can make that 1K 10X its value. And for 4K, you can get a college experience. And fuck, if you got the 40K, you can get anybody on your side. Just be smart about it and reach out to the right people. And uh, that's all I got to say on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I I don't think that it's really worth it nowadays, uh, uh, dude. In forty k, that's a cheap college experience. I, most people have to pay more than that. So I'm mine like, was mine was over, but yeah, yeah. like let's 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 ratchet the stakes up on that number a little bit, just so we're being transparent. But really, like. If you're if you're going to college because you want to improve your livelihood and you're and you're making music now, you're just getting going on music. and You know, it's a passion, something that you want to do, being able to go to college and get a degree in something that, you know, is going to pay well, that, you know, you could land at a good spot with a comfortable job that you could work 40 hours a week and come home and be able to feed your family or feed yourself or whatever, whatever your situation is, if you can make the money that you need to live and have a little extra because you went to college and got a degree in something that pays well, or that maybe even like science or some shit that you're really actually interested in. Um, and you can get a good job from that. You're going to be able to spend your extra time working on music that is your own, that you're trying to push. And you're going to have the disposable income to actually advertise, or invest in learning, or invest in tools, or not suffer, and not suffer, and have all of the the things that you need to actually be able to be successful in this. Um, because, yeah, really, I mean, like you, the the thing is, you you assume in your head that like going to get a music degree at college is going to be basically a way to learn all of the ancillary things about music and direct things about music that you want to learn. And then you're going to come out with all this knowledge. Really what that's going to look like is you're taking intro to jazz 101. You're taking intro to classical music 102. You're taking chords and scales 103. And you're like some stuff. And then you've got like all your recess
0: in between and shit.
2: (laughs) Are no, you're not you're not going to make fucking bangers 102 every day like no one ha, you're not going to that class unless you're at like like i don't even know icon do they do that i have no idea but like Man, they'd be a like better, the better best bet than, than a lot of places the best their tuition's going up though the best mm-hmm. option doesn't have that class the best option no. doesn't have how to make the best music of your life 101 it just doesn't and so you are going to feel like fuck I have to study for my history of classical composers class because I have a final and I have to do my master thesis for why blues and jazz are really the same thing but different and there's no rock and roll and you're you're gonna be like holy fuck i thought i was doing music i thought i I was six serum
0: yoinks 101
2: i haven't written a single song in 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 months because i've been studying for all these fucking classes i don't give a shit
0: about um yeah but do you know a bunch of random shit now so (laughs) that's
2: That's my Okay. Yeah, yeah. One yeah, thing yeah.
0: to yeah, go for it. And and I got a point I just want to end it off. Because me and Jorn had a session this month.
1: All right, man. I, I think that the the main thing is like, what do you want out of it? Like, what do you want out of your degree at all? Like, is are you going to school so you can get employment that is going to be steady and reliable and get you a set amount of money every month? If so, just don't do music, man. <laughs> like just for yeah. real like exactly. don't uh and if if i can convince you to not do music with that then you didn't belong there and if i can't good you passed the test true but now still think why am i going to school are you just out here trying to make the most innovative left field bass music that you can there isn't like like what can you there isn't a college class for that anywhere if you are like, well, I, my dream is to be an engineer in big studios running all of the gear and knowing exactly how every component of an SSL board works and how to set up the preamps and, the, and the, all the hardware components and make sure everything's wired right and so that when look, Dr. Dre walks in the room, with Justin Bieber, they have a fucking amazing studio experience and I'll get a good paycheck off of that. That there is schools that can teach you that shit that have those rooms full of huge, amazing studio sets up setups. Like I've been to uh a friend was going to musicians institute for engineering in, in Hollywood and they had all those rooms. You could go check out all of those amazing microphones, and you could do A-B tests on which microphones sounded better on different people's voices. And you have a, you know, another thing is going to those schools, you're gonna be in the mix, in class with a bunch of people that are also looking to do that shit. And now you have a Rolodex, you have connections, you have people, they're gonna be working at that studio and you're gonna be working at this studio and you're gonna be sharing tips and contacts and things, like it's networking. So there's, there's reasons that it could be a good idea. But know why you want to be there. And really, if you want to be a musician, you're gonna need to know how to do more than music. You're gonna there's so many other things. You're gonna need to know at least a few of the following things, like marketing, video editing, Photoshop, you know, social media, like there's so many other things that you could that you could learn and spend money on learning that will really help you in the music industry. One, because you won't have to pay for Photoshop yourself. And two, because then all your musician buddies are going to know that you're the person that makes dope Photoshop and they're going to pay you. And that's going to keep the lights in the studio on while you're making your next banger that you learned how to do because you actually sought out the people that know how to do what you want to do. You showed up at Producer Dojo and got all the basics down and 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 figured out how to just operate your DAW and get a good workflow and all that shit. And then you took all of the money you saved by not going to full sale or whatever. And then it was like, all right, well, I'm going to hire Bill Gates for a lesson. I'm going to hire Mr. Bill for a lesson. I'm going to reach out to some of these other artists. I really like and see which ones are down to, to let me give them money to teach me some of their secrets. And, you know, like we're saying, like, that's, that's the way you get it out of it by, by intentionally knowing what you want out of it and investing wisely. Facts. Yeah, I'm gonna just say also, do not get it twisted. People will
0: give you the info, but will not tell you how to make money from it. And so don't go to school asking some guy with no side hustle that gets a paycheck weekly or bi-weekly what he thinks or what she thinks you should do to structure your business to make it as an independent artist. They don't have a fucking clue. And so if you could pay a fraction of that to talk to somebody who knows the entrepreneurial side of it and they know at least some business smarts to figure out how to take everything in their noggin and make it into physical money to help them survive and feed their family, then, you know, you really got to ask yourself, where is the value being overpriced? I'm a bit biased away from schools personally because I think a lot of these systems are outdated and and a lot of them are riding on the prestige of what people think they are but it's a whole shit show out there here's what I'm gonna say Jorn we had a session this month and you're a good guy and you seem you seem pretty into this here's what I'm gonna say before you make this decision further dead serious about that two-hour walk get outside get some peace for yourself think about it But before you make any investment, because the one thing I would say school is worth, not for every field, but for 99% is having somebody cracking that whip and making you get shit done. What I'm going to say is take 50 bucks, go find a book on behavior change. Charles Duhigg, Power of Habit is great. And don't just read that shit. Ask yourself how the fuck do I set up the world around me to make it optimal for me to do this? Like if you're coming home and dicking around and watching TV, you don't need to pay 40 K for somebody to tell you, stop watching TV and go do this shit. How about, um, unplug the TV and unplug any device that you'd want to use and don't turn on Netflix unless you know the name of the show you're going to watch. And also have your music laptop open with your interface and all that shit already comfy to go. Give yourself a snack or some shit so you don't got to get up, right? Like if you got a couch facing the TV, turn it the other way and set up a little desk with the laptop on it. Optimize your environment to make it easier for you to do the right things because we can be pieces of shit and, and we're going to fall into the path of least resistance and, You know, it's one thing when you have willpower to go make music, but when you don't, people come and they're like, I don't have motivation. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. You should have used the yesterday's motivation to turn your, to turn your couch around and to make it harder for you to dick around and watch TV. And now you would have gotten something done today. So use those bursts of energy and, and motivation and, and look up on behavior change because As as stupid as humans are, we just need to be tricked into being productive. And if you can get that aspect down and find yourself a mentor, get in Producer Dojo. As unbiased as I can be, it was life-changing for me. Get in with a community like that. Get yourself a mentor and be on your ass about your personal habits. And with that, you're unstoppable. You, you really don't need some boomer institute to give you a piece of paper to say you're certified in fucking XLR cables. And, and you're a smart dude. I know you could do it. So with that, let's wrap it up to the next question. Love to you, Jorn. Thanks for submitting the question. Man, maybe
1: we can just wrap it up. That I don't know. We're that, gonna was a that. That, was, that was a pretty happy episode. That was dope know. right <laughs> there. This episode was uh, sponsored by Boomer Institute of XLR Cables. <laughs> yes. uh, there will not be a link in the description.
2: <laughs> but the uh, the, the they don't have a website. Of, that's why the the non Boomer <laughs> Institute of don't plug in any XLR cables. Uh, producer Dojo. They will actually teach you the shit that you want to learn. Uh, and make the music you want to make. We will include a link to that because
1: absolutely, we <laughs> highly endorse that shit. You do want, man. That. Let's just set
2: the
0: record straight too. The only reason universities and schools and shit are still relevant is because boomer-run institutions give a shit about a piece of paper. But once, right. once younger people start weeding this this stupid belief out, and, and and if universities don't, you know, start lowering their costs and getting rid of stupid just um bloat within their systems whether that's extra people or just money being wasted i think people will eventually wake up and realize like man i'll try not to get too deep into this but i had immigrant parents so that mentality of school 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 is very ingrained and when i actually went to school i realized how big of a crock of shit it was in a lot of ways and uh I'm glad at least a lot of tech companies are opening up and seeing that it's the experience, it's the knowledge that's valuable. And just because some companies arbitrarily announced it so that the piece of paper isn't required, doesn't mean that the piece of paper wasn't required all along. And if you believe in yourself and put in the work and seek out the knowledge and read up on behavior change, it's very fascinating. Find ways to optimize your life and not make it a grind. There's ways to make the right things to do easy. Template library workflow in the context of production. You heard it all before. But anyway, man, there's a lot we could say on this. Thank you so much to everybody that submitted questions. We
1: love y'all. There's there's a difference between being certified and being qualified. (laughs) It's more important to be qualified. But yeah, all right, humans. Peace among worlds. I like it. What's up, humans? Thank you so much for listening to the Human Music Podcast. We truly appreciate you. In fact, we made you a gift. Click on the link in the episode description to get our new sample pack for free. It has some of our favorite basses, FX, percussions, and Foley sounds to instantly level up your productions. As always, remember to rate and subscribe, and we'll get back at you with a new episode every Tuesday. Peace and peace among worlds.